All right, welcome everyone. Hopefully you're here to talk uh, AI. Um, and I have to say I'm happy to see a full house. I think last year I had less than 50% attendance at my reInvent talk, so um, it was, uh, this is awesome. Great to see everyone here. Um, so I'm Joe Spizak. Uh, I manage our partners globally for AIML. Um, if anyone caught the news this morning, we launched our ML competency, so I think some of our partners are in the crowd, so congratulations again. Great to have you on board. I'm going to be joined by uh, Jose Noriega, who's uh, our AIML uh, partner development manager. He works a lot with our technology partners specifically, so our ISVs. Um, and then we also have others that work with our SIs. So um, 30 seconds on me, so uh, currently leading our partnerships. Previous to that, I was leading a product team uh, in Amazon for deep learning. Previous to that, I was at Intel trying to get them to understand what machine learning was. And I think I was successful because now it's all over. They bought Nirvana and, and whole business units. So uh, they're very excited and, and very invested. So uh, great for them. So thank you again. Um, Agenda-wise, we actually have a pretty uh, wide-ranging talk here. Uh, so we'll talk about market opportunity. Everyone loves to talk dollars and cents. Uh, I'll jump into kind of some definitions. Why um, now as well? So uh, there's a lot happening right now, cloud computing being a big driver, certainly of AI and machine learning. Um, I, you know, this was a 200-level talk, so I have a, a bit of basics. Um, so who's a deep learner in the room, by the way? Um, anyone using deep learning, applying it today? A few hands, hesitant hand, one, two, three. Okay. Um, who's excited about deep learning? Like, who's, okay, there's a few excited. Okay, if you're not excited, you shouldn't be here. No, <laughs> no it's, it's exciting. There you go, all right. So I, I personally got excited about this um, back when I started using CAFE when it was first open sourced. I think that was five years ago, six years ago. Uh, and I've been kind of hooked ever since. So, uh, so we're, we're, gonna, we're gonna cover a lot of ground here. Um, we'll cover uh, the data science and machine learning workflow. I think data science is, uh, has largely been considered uh, separate from machine learning, but we're seeing uh, workflows converge. We'll talk about that. Um, who's running um, ML and AI on AWS? So we have some great case studies uh, from our customers. Um, and then uh, I'm gonna hand it over to Jose who's gonna talk about how to partner with AWS. So obviously the competency is kind of step one, um, but that's only uh, really a, a small piece really to the puzzle of, of working with us. Uh, and then some call to action. Um, so first of all, who knows who this gentleman is? All right, Andrew Ng. So I had the privilege of working with Andrew when I was at Intel, when he was at Baidu uh, as chief scientist there. And he has this catchphrase, if no one's caught this yet, uh, called AI is the new electricity. Um, and I think it's, while it's very catchy and, and it's a great marketing phrase, uh, the reality is more like this. This is the McKinsey chart that shows the heat map of where we're seeing AI and machine learning get adopted. And the darker the color, the more adoption um, that we're seeing. And I think it's, it's key to point out here that it's not so much the, the, the darkness and the color, but it's more of the breadth of what we're seeing. You can see the, uh, see it applied in financial services all the way through to, you know, things like tourism um, and a number of other segments. So, you know, AI and machine learning is, is really disrupting. It's, it's, it's permeating a number of segments. Uh, it's not really just for the Amazons of the world anymore. It's for everyone. And I think that's really what Amazon AI and, and AWS is really trying to do, is to democratize it and bring it to everyone. 
A um, couple of stats here, 46 billion, so everyone can talk lots of numbers and big numbers, but it's, that is a big number. So it's growing, I think, close to 50 or 60% CAGR, 54.4%, I think, if I remember correctly, uh, by 2020. Um, another stat here, we have over 3,000 startups uh, just checking angel lists uh, that are quote-unquote AI startups that are applying machine learning um, in a number of solutions. So it's, it's a really healthy ecosystem. It's growing fast. Uh, and we're excited that AWS is going to be the platform that a lot of this is going to happen on. Okay, so I'm going to jump into a little bit of, of definitions and kind of some of the, the more basics. Um, and I'll also, also talk open source, which is uh, near and dear to my heart. So I think there's a lot of discussion around AI and ML and DL, and uh, I think they're, they're kind of used interchangeably. Uh, I think that's, that's really not the case. Um, so I, I kind of put together this slide just to, to kind of get, give everyone a level set of definitions. Um, and AI, or artificial intelligence, is really the umbrella term. It's really to sense, learn, reason, act, and adapt to the real world without explicit programming. And you can really, the analog is us, right? As, as humans, we don't, uh, you know, we're not explicitly programmed. I learn how to walk up these stairs. I learn how to eat an apple, um, you know, by by being able to, to sense and, and reason about my environment. Um, now, in order to achieve AI or, or really um, build these intelligent applications, there's a number of different ways. I think if, uh, if anyone's read Pedro Domingo's book, The, the Master Algorithm, it's a great book, by the way, if anyone um, has a chance to read it. Um, it talks about the, all the, the five tribes of machine learning. There's all the way back to the symbolic approaches where it's really rule-based. So you can consider it almost like a, an endless if-then statement uh, in, in some respects. And then, of course, there's all of the, the number of different algorithms like decision trees, deep learning, uh, with neural networks. Um, and these are all really ways to, these are all algorithms or classes of algorithms uh, that learn from data. Um, and there can be supervised, meaning that you can have a, a set of, uh, of XY pairs. I have known ground truth that I'm training my algorithm with, and I could have unsupervised. Uh, which means I don't have any ground truth, and I'm just learning and I'm trying to find patterns within the data. And of course, what everyone loves to talk about these days is deep learning. Um, and deep learning is really a subfield of machine learning um, and one kind of class of algorithms that has a number of really cool applications that we'll talk about. Um, and I think because of that sensorial, because of that, you know, the fact that it's hitting image classification, it's hitting speech, it's, had, it's Alexa, it's kind of around us um, you know, every day, and it's, it's really engaging. Uh, I think people have gravitated towards deep learning, and it's become uh, kind of, I wouldn't say a household um, term, but it's, it's, people have certainly um, raised the awareness of deep learning over the last few years. Um, so why now? Um, I think, you know, coming from Amazon, I can tell you compute certainly had a lot to do with it. Um, our friends at NVIDIA with their GPUs certainly had a lot to do with it. I think if, if anyone followed uh, the ImageNet competition back to 2012 and they started to see some of the uh, initial, you know, AlexNet, some of the initial neural networks <clears throat> that were uh, trained for, for the ImageNet competition, uh, that was using GPUs. So parallel computing became really, really important. And you started to see this HPC, this high-performance computing, start to bleed into deep learning because they're very similar. Um, they're very um, compute-intensive. Um, they're highly parallel. Um, they're trying to solve kind of similar large-scale problems. <clears throat> and then bigger data um, also is, is key here. Um, but, but not really for the reason that I think a lot of people think. They think data is everywhere, data is plentiful. But you know, one of the, our competency partners that launched with us, uh, Crowdflower, 
um, solves what I call the, the dirty little secret of deep learning. And that's the fact that everything today is very supervised. It's supervised learning. It's, uh, you have to have a lot of training data that's actually annotated, meaning it's labeled. I actually have a ground truth that's been maybe meticulously um, you know, labeled and edited by someone physically. I've done this myself. We have a lot of services at Amazon. I've been lured with beer and pizza and sat there on Mechanical Turk and labeled sentiment um, in, uh, in ads on Amazon. So it's really painstaking, um, but that really is the, the impetus and really the foundation of a lot of the really amazing applications you see today and why you get great recommendations, why you get um, fantastic NLP, um, and then lastly, the advanced learning algorithms. I think we've seen a lot of these algorithms uh, that maybe are coming from the 60s or 70s or uh, if you count reinforcement learning in the 80s and 90s. Uh, but they're, they're now, there's now enough compute and enough expertise, I would say, to take advantage of them. And over the last, I would say, especially the last five or six years, there's been really big leaps forward in a lot of these algorithms. So applying reinforcement learning, uh, applying computer vision using convolutional neural networks, um, and so on. So, of course, we all gravitate towards these superhuman benchmarks. Uh, we love to talk about, you know, the, the ImageNet competition and, you know, when uh, the Stanford folks uh, took the ImageNet, uh, you know, set of images and they actually went through them and viewed them and labeled them or, or tagged them themselves and, and tried to figure out what a human, what human level accuracy would be. I think it ended up being like 95%, if I remember correctly. It's actually labeled somewhere here. Um, and um, and we, we started to see the, the CNNs, the convolutional neural networks, actually outperform humans. People got really excited and they got worried, of course. Um, and that, that's, you know, when you have these kind of narrow problems, you can really, you can drive some of these algorithms to, to really great performance. As you can see over the years, uh, some of the algorithms have driven down into, uh, you know, the high 90s or in the, in the 90s uh, for accuracy. Of course, chess, um, if anyone's paying, paying attention to the AlphaGo Zero, uh, reinforcement learning uh, work that Google's been doing. A lot of these uh, new algorithms, they're, they're getting a lot of press, um, but the really cool thing is that they're actually being applied now. So all the things that I saw at Berkeley and Stanford five years ago are actually starting to really make it into to large-scale production. And the really key thing here is that we're seeing this uh, applied kind of enterprise-wide. So part of my, uh, my team at, at Amazon, we track a number of use cases. So we have myself, I'm being a, being a horizontal um, you know, technology, I would say, for AIML. Uh, we have a number of vertical teams, so whether it's media and entertainment, whether it's health and life sciences, uh, financial services, et cetera, um, they're starting to see you know, ML permeate in all of those verticals, and they're starting to track all those use cases. So I kind of cherry-picked a few here. Uh, media being near and dear to my, oops, sorry about that. Media being uh, near and dear to my heart here, you can see uh, some of the things that, that it's being applied to. So copyright infringement is, is a great one. Um, it's really, really human intensive to have people constantly looking through content to make sure someone's not infringing on your, uh, your copyrights. Uh, you can see in healthcare life sciences, there's a number of different applications. Drug discovery right now is very hot. Um, all the way through to customer experience. I think we've all started, whether we like it or not, or whether we know it or not, we're engaging with conversational interfaces. Those are everywhere. Uh, no matter whether we like it or not, they're there. Um, in some cases, they actually provide a really nice experience and, frankly, a lot faster than um, having to call Comcast or whatever company you're dealing with. 
So, it's, so the point is there's, a, there's basically an unending number of use cases. Uh, we're tracking hundreds of them, my team is, uh, and we're working with partners to go in and build solutions and solve those, those different use cases or solve those problems. So it's very exciting. There's just no end of the work that I have to do, so I have job security, which is cool. Um, cool, so I'm gonna jump into a few of the deep learning basics to kind of give everyone um, a level set here. So don't get scared by the, the equation or the math or, um, but this is you know, what, what we call a perceptron. You can also call it an affine layer because it's fully connected. Um, you can also uh, call it a logistic unit. Um, but this is basically the fundamental building block of a neural network. And you can see um, at, the, at the bottom here, bottom right, um, there's a little bit deeper of a network uh, with more, um, more neurons. And you can see here's the input layer, which is basically where your data uh, comes your X's, you're essentially flatten your data uh, ingested in, into here. With supervised learning, you typically have a Y pair, so um, this actually will be accompanied by a Y, so basically an image and a result. So this is a cat, there's an image of a cat, and there's a tag that says that's an image of a cat. Um, and then the Y is, of course, the output, and there'll be a Y hat, which is the prediction. And without going into what the chain rule is or what you know, backpropagation is, essentially you're gonna get an error by um, ingesting data um, into, this, the, into the front of this network, into the input layer of this network. Um, you'll provide some calculation and a non-linear non function, um, simply multiplying um, by these weights, adding them up, there's a bias term, and then you have an output, um, and then you basically compare that output, and you have a loss. Um, and then if you do that a bunch of times, you call that a cost function, um, and that outputs a prediction over time, you'll converge, basically. Now, this is a very simple, um, simple uh, perceptron, but things can get more complex. And the real power of a, a deep neural network is its ability to do deep representations. And you can see once you start to stack these up, and I have another slide, I think two slides, it really kind of exemplifies where we are in the state of the art. But you can see that uh, as you propagate through the network, you start to get higher and higher level features. So in other words, the network is starting to learn uh, deeper features. You may start out in the case of images, because it's a very easy way to, to kind of convey the, the concept. You start to, to learn about the edges uh, that are basically within these images. That's what the, the early layers of the network uh, start to learn. Once you start getting into the middle layers um, and then the, the, the latter layers, they start to actually learn real features like uh, you know, eyes and ears all the way to full faces. And this can be applied to really anything, um, whether it's natural language, whether it's images, whether it's uh, you know, audio. Uh, there's, uh, it's really um, kind of an interesting way that we've kind of flipped this whole thing on its head. In, in the past, you would actually define these features ahead of time. Now you're actually learning them through the algorithm. So that's really the power of deep learning. Of course, there is a drawback to deep learning. It requires a lot of data. So um, how are, are a lot of these algorithms implemented? And this is where we get into open source. And this is where you'll start to keep, see me get excited because I love open source and I love to, to work in this ecosystem and um, especially uh, early on when I was working on CAFE. So really today, I guess maybe other than Theano, because that project is largely um, dead today, but. Uh, there's still a very vibrant uh, ecosystem of open source. So whether it's TensorFlow, uh, whether it's uh, Microsoft CNTK, the Cognitive Neural uh, Network Toolkit, uh, Apache MXNet, uh, PyTorch, um, these are essentially ways for you to uh, script and define a neural network um, and then train it. 
Um, and it's gotten really to the point where um, it's actually very easy to do deep learning. And I'll show you just how easy it is. I actually have some code in a couple slides. But it's gotten to the point where if you can write basic Python, um, you can train a neural network. And you can train one at really large scale um, pretty easily. So it's exciting. Um, and this was not the case five years ago or six years ago when I saw people just struggle with, with basics. Um, so key things about deep learning frameworks, like why are there so many? Um, well, I think there's a bunch of different reasons why people choose different frameworks. I think ecosystem certainly is, is, a, is a big piece of that. Are there other developers using it? Is there code that I can reuse? Are there contrib packages? Um, you know, is it a research versus production question? Um, if I'm doing research, for example, uh, the FAIR team at Facebook uh, is using PyTorch, and they use that uh, because you can actually uh, basically run by define, uh, or define by run um, in this case, and you can literally start to script a network and run it, and it actually defines and, and runs the, the computational graph as you're coding. And that's great for research because you can actually iterate really, really fast. In some of these other frameworks, like maybe uh, TensorFlow, uh, or Cafe 2, you actually symbolically define your graph, and then you go and, and, uh, and execute it and, and compute it. Uh, and so it's very good for production, because you can then go and very uh, concretely go define what you're, you're doing, train it, deploy it in production, um, but it's not great for fast iteration. So we see kind of that dichotomy between research and production, and things are, are merging um, as we speak. Uh, the worlds are colliding. Um, and these frameworks are starting to kind of converge on features and actually even interoperate, um, if anyone's familiar with the Onyx um, project that we're now part of with Facebook and Microsoft. It's the Open Neural Network Exchange. So we see these worlds colliding. Um, I think um, it's going to be an interesting few years here. Uh, there's also a few other uh, things to, to consider. So mobile support, one of the bigger trends in deep learning is to be able to deploy these models on the edge. Uh, we have a, a partner, for example, um, Two Cents, and in New York, and they deploy models basically in your iPhone or in your Android phone to, to detect who you are. Um, they'll basically take the sensors, the sensor outputs, uh, they'll train it locally, um, and really get uh, you know, a biometric um, f you know, feel for who you are and be able to, uh, you can unlock your phone um, just by how you handle the phone versus maybe your fingerprint reader, or even your, you know, your face, which can actually be hacked as well these days, I think we've seen. So, um, so there's mobile support, I think, is becoming more and more important. Language bindings, as much as we talk about Python, um, R is still very popular, uh, so is Scala. Uh, we talk about programming style, imperative versus declarative. Uh, scalability, so you know, what is my compute and memory footprint? Uh, some of the frameworks are really great for mobile devices. You can deploy them in very small footprints. So I can drop them onto a Raspberry Pi. Uh, we actually built a little wine detector, wine uh, recognizer, so on a Raspberry Pi, so you can run that over your wine collection if you want. It'll tell you what wine bottles you have. Uh, and that runs on a Raspberry Pi. That's a deep neural network. That's a state-of-the-art deep neural network. Um, and then lastly, I think performance. And this is uh, really key, especially when you get into these large data situations and these really large networks uh, where I need to, to maybe run over multiple GPUs or multiple, multiple CPUs or, or multiple systems of GPUs or CPUs. Uh, so scalability actually becomes very important. And what uh, the power of the framework actually these days, and you know, is really that it's gotten simple. So this is actually the, uh, the MXNet implementation of Keras. So if, is anyone familiar with Keras? Anyone use Keras? Quite a few people. So Keras is basically an abstracted um, interface. It's, people will call it a framework, but essentially it's a simplified interface to 
Uh, TensorFlow, now native, uh, was for Theano. Um, and there's also support for CNTK, Microsoft, as well as MXNet. And literally with a couple of lines of code, so I set basically my number of GPUs, I create a list, and I have a two-line for statement. There, I'm distributing over four GPUs now. That's it. I mean, how easy does it get? It's, it's crazy. Like, to do this in the past, this would be hundreds of lines of code, probably um, a lot of trial and error. Um, now, you add a few lines of code to your, to your, uh, your project, and basically, it's, it's done, and you're distributing over, and you're getting you know, tens of teraflops, uh, which is amazing. So that's, that's really the power of the framework. That's how far we've come just in a few years. And I guess the, the reason is why, why did we go this far? Because I think you know, starting out in, in LeanNet here, which is you know, a very simple uh, network that originally was developed to uh, allow you to, to uh, read you know, the checks that you, you put in your ATM. So when you, you know, deposit your checks in the ATM to do basically digit recognition, um, Jan LeCun developed that when he was at Bell Labs. And that was kind of the state of the art at the time. It was really hard to train because compute was actually kind of scarce. Now we got to the point where, you know, even in, this is 2015, so this isn't even really state of the art. Um, you can't even see the, the layers of this network in the residual net um, that came out of the Microsoft research team. Um, and that was state of the art, and that won the ImageNet competition in, in 20, end of 2015. So the, the networks are getting deeper and deeper. They're getting more and more complex. Compute's getting, um, you know, just, it, it, it's kind of insatiable at this point uh, how much compute um, is required. And really from a you know a net net perspective, like what like it's great to talk about compute, it's great to talk about um, these deep neural networks, but what is the result and why do I really need this? And I think the, the key here is when, for example, um, you know, I started working with that Microsoft team when I was at Intel, they were talking about 30 days or even longer to train a network. And if you can imagine running something for 30 days or even 45 days and wondering are you gonna get a result or not, that's a long time. I mean, that's like I mean that's that's a long time. You, uh, you're wasting compute resources. You're wasting a lot of ex expensive engineers. Um, and I think uh, to really get to iterative research, you have to get to the point where it's a few hours so that I know how accurate my network is, how well am I performing. Um, if I'm having to wait a month or even longer or two months in some cases for these really large uh, data sets and networks, um, it becomes kind of the point where maybe this isn't you know, uh, something that, that you know, it's a tractable problem, or, or maybe, um, you know, I need to figure out another way to, to, to go about it. And I think that's what we've seen with the latest hardware, is we've turned uh, some of these, you know, problems from, you can see here, 15 days for some of these neural machine translation um, problems, uh, or longer, um, down to, you know, six hours. Or, and that's, that's a single, that's basically a single P3, now, uh, Volta. Now you can distribute that over the full eight that we have, and you could probably get that down in you know, under an hour, probably. So you're talking about really amazing um, problems, really large networks, and you're training those um, in a matter of, of hours now, where, I mean, a few years ago, it was months. So that's power, that's power for research, that's, uh, that's really powerful for the state of the art and pushing it, and that's why you see services from Amazon, services from Microsoft, um, and Facebook and others start to just come out um, at, at blistering pace because the hardware is advanced, um, cloud is advanced. Okay, so I'm going to uh, step back and, and talk about the development workflow uh, a bit. Um, and I'm going to preface all of this by saying if you don't have a problem in mind that you're going to try and solve, then none of this matters. And that's actually one of the biggest problems that, that I see. I walk into a customer or a partner, uh, and we sit down, they say, I have all this data, 
give me AI. I want to go do something with AI. Give me, like, I want AI. Like, okay, what do you want to do? So I think the, the biggest thing is, is really de defining the problem uh, that you're trying to solve. So I think the, uh, the first thing we, we talk about is data. So we talk about data annotation. I think one of the, the biggest things that we're seeing, again, is, is this kind of sensorial, um, you know, these different modalities of data that we couldn't address before because we just didn't have the algorithms, we didn't have the compute, uh, you know, the knowledge. And now we're able to um, address, for example, video. Um, oops. We're able to address images, unstructured text, um, audio information. There are companies out there like Anadot, one, another one of our partners that like strictly focuses on time series and detecting anomalies. So preventative maintenance. I have all these sensors. I want to be able to detect when a you know, $100 million aircraft engine is going to fail. There's a lot of time series data that's coming at me. I want to be able to train that into an algorithm, um, figure out when uh, that's going to fail ahead of time so I can prevent that um, and maybe uh, you know, decommission that plane before it actually fails uh, and save uh, a lot of uh, customer angst um, and cost probably as well. Um, data prep. So we have a number of partners also on, uh, not only in data annotation but also in data prep. A lot of the data that's out there is nasty, dirty, uh, there's um, you know, misaligned data, there's NANs, there's duplicated data. Um, it's, you know, it's, 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 a dirty, it's the dirty job of the data scientist to, to really spend most of his time or her time cleaning up data and prepping it. Everyone likes to talk about, you know, the model. Like, am I do a cluster? Am I going to do a classification? Am I doing a regression problem? Um, you know, what type of problem am I trying to solve? They don't focus on the data. The data is actually the key. So prepping that data, of course, you want to figure out what, can, you know, what are you trying to solve? Am I trying to cluster these? Am I trying to do something? Um, you know, maybe I have a, a number of, of articles and I want to cluster them so that I can tailor them to someone's uh, likes or, or dislikes. And then, of course, uh, what, what kind of algorithm am I training? So, you know, everyone's very excited about neural networks today, um, these connectionists, as they call themselves. Um, but maybe I don't have all of the data um, that I, I need. Maybe I only have a, a little bit of data. Uh, there are a number of other algorithms that you can, uh, you can, you can use. Uh, you know, things like, um, you know, SVMs, for example, support vector machines are still used. Or uh, logistic regression is actually, I think, still one of the most popular algorithms for click-through rate prediction. Um, that's a very shallow algorithm. So really, it's, um, it's choosing the different types of algorithms you're going to use, or even ensembling them, of course. I'll talk about that. Um, and then model evaluation. So once I have a model, how do I measure success here? Is it, am I cross-validating it? Um, am I looking at you know, accuracy, bias, variance, um, hyperparameter tuning is, is kind of a hot topic, especially in research these days. But um, how do I tune all of these different parameters in a deep neural network. So things like learning rates, if anyone's heard the term learning rate. Um, you know, things like a number of, um, of neurons, uh, regularization, dropout, all these different things that a data scientist and ML practitioner has to tune. These are actually really hard things for us to think about um, when we're in high dimensional space. Like, what if I change this parameter? What happens then? So hyperparameter tuning actually becomes a very big problem. Um, we kind of just push the problem when we talk about deep learning. We're no longer engineering features, but we have to think about all these parameters. And then lastly, deployment. Uh, so again, portability is key. So Raspberry Pi, um, you know, dropping these onto um, different applications, ensembling them. So actually, if you look at Kaggle, if anyone's familiar with Kaggle, 
Uh, I think there's, you know, still today people ensemble a lot of algorithms to solve a lot of these problems. XGBoost, I think it's still the most popular algorithm on Kaggle, but um, ensembling actually is, is still very popular. So I mean, ensemble a neural network with some type of random forest um, or some other algorithm. Okay, so I'm gonna jump back up to the high level, talk about some of uh, applications and customer usage. Uh, so really cool logos here. So these are kind of some of the, the fun partners and customers that we get to work with on a you know, daily basis, actually. Uh, so too simple. Um, I'm actually doing a chalk talk tomorrow with these guys. They're an autonomous driving company uh, focused on uh, really large trucks. So more of the commercial trucks and, and transportation and, um, and shipping. So not, they're not like the Waymo or, um, or TRI or um, you know, Argo AI or, or folks that are trying to solve the actual problem of you, you know, getting an autonomous driving, uh, autonomous vehicle like an Uber is, but they're trying to solve shipping um, with autonomous vehicles. So they're an interesting company if you get a chance to come to that. Uh, too simple. Yep, these guys here. <clears throat> so these are all companies that are applying computer vision on AWS. Uh, Arteris, for example, for FDA approved uh, medical imaging. MapRillery is an interesting company. They actually have crowdsourced maps. Um, They've mapped, I think, more than two million miles worldwide from basically people driving around with their cars, uh, with their phones, like you know, when you're in your Uber and the guy has his, his dash cam or his phone pointed on the road, they can actually take that information, uh, apply a lot of computer vision to it, um, and then use that um, to, uh, to map, essentially map the world. It's actually really cool. Uh, so recommender systems or recommendation engines, uh, I think there's, I mean, these are pretty self-explanatory, whether you're talking about finding the right travel uh, or shopping, uh, Instacart, of course. Um, I think we all use Yelp, or at least I do still. Uh, natural language, so this is, this is where things get really diverse. So whether it's Washington Post, for example, now um, any article you go to uh, takes our Amazon Polly and it actually does all the text-to-speech for you. So instead of having to read the article, you can actually just automatically listen to the the text-to-speech version uh, through Poly. Um, I think um, you know, SCDM out of Germany, they basically are applying natural language to uh, financial information. So they're trying to extract insight out of all the financial, all those you know, annual reports and quarterly reports. So they're trying to extract information um, out of those types of documents. So lots of NLP. Um, Pattern recognition and optimization, I talked briefly about two cents. Uh, SigOps is another a partner of ours. Uh, again, once you have a model, uh, I think anyone can train a model in a Jupyter notebook using, say, TensorFlow, but I think getting it to the point where it's optimal, getting to its, you know, to its maximum accuracy, training it efficiently from a cost perspective, um, this is where hyperparameter solutions like SigOpt come in. So a really impressive company. Cool, I'm gonna switch uh, over to Jose here. He's gonna talk about how to partner with AWS, uh, specifically on machine learning. So take it, Jose. Thank you, thank you, Joe. So um, Joe and I were yesterday at an event and uh, there was just something that our VP of uh, Amazon AI said, Swami, that really resonated with me. And uh, I, I really liked that, that sentence. He said that uh, we are with machine learning at a stage pretty similar to where we were at with databases in the 1990s. So beyond the business opportunity, which of course there is, beyond uh, the hype and everything, we're still at a stage where we can build a lot of cool things. And uh, in the near future, there will be a lot uh, more 
even logos up there, a lot of new different use cases, and uh, we want our partners to, to help us build those things. So we, we see three different ways uh, that uh, an AWS partner can, can, can help uh, with can help to, to deliver ML solutions to the market. Uh, number one is obviously uh, using our services, integrating with our services to deliver solutions out to the market. So we have a bunch of ML services or AI ML services, uh, a bunch more coming uh, in the following days, of course. So um, working with our joint customers to deliver a, a solution using our services is one of the ways, of course, to, to integrate for our partners. Number two is leveraging the, the AWS partner network. Uh, so that's the team where, where Joe and I belong. And, Mostly what we do uh, at APN is it's co-selling. So uh, whether you're a consulting partner and you have a customer that needs an ML solution, uh, you can leverage APN to get help, like for instance, with MDFs, with credits, run a POC, or you can leverage an AWS solutions architect to be able to, uh, to help you uh, have that project uh, launch successfully for your customer. And lastly, you can monetize through the AWS marketplace. So. Uh, I don't know if you, you're familiar with Marketplace, but uh, Marketplace is like, it's our marketplace for third parties to be able to, to sell their software on the AWS platform, and our customers are invoiced on our paper. So uh, it's really good for some customers who want to procure through AWS, and you can source all, all the solutions through, through AWS on the Marketplace. Um, so one of the things that um, Joe mentioned briefly uh, is the AWS competency program. Uh, so the, the AWS Competency Program is actually our highest tiered program that we have for partners, both consulting and technology partners. And this is important because there's a partner journey uh, from where uh, partners start as registered, then they move to standard, then to advanced, and then eventually they can go for one of these competencies. But once you're a competency partner, it means that you are a trusted uh, partner because we've vetted your software in the case of technology partners or we've vetted your practice in the case of a consulting partner, and we help connect these partners, I mean, you guys, with our customers, um, because we know that you have proven customer success with us, and we know uh, we make sure that in the future, for future workloads, you're gonna have it too. So um, the competency actually has several benefits, what well, you, you see there, the bullet points, uh, but basically what it is is a way of, uh, for us, sending out there uh, to the market a message that this is the short list of partners that we work with for specific use cases, because these ones are the best for this use case. So once you're a competency partner, you get access to a specific benefits, like I mentioned before, with, with MDFs, or even we can derive leads to you when we got uh, inbound opportunities. Like There's a lot of inbound opportunities that come from our field. They reach out to the partner team, they ask us, who is the best partner for anomaly detection? And we will always say, okay, our go-to partners are the competency partners. And um, our competencies, actually, um, we have different categories. So we have industry verticals, which of course, uh, that's healthcare, life science, FinServ, et cetera. So that's the kind of competency that you can achieve if you're specialized in a specific vertical, both as a consulting partner or if you're a technology partner and you have a solution or a piece of your software that addresses that specific vertical, you can get one of these competencies. For business applications, they're uh, specific to SAP, Microsoft, and Oracle. And we also have the solutions areas. So this is more horizontals for partners who are specialized in IoT, storage, DevOps, big data, et cetera. So um, 
as we mentioned before, we this morning, I don't know um, if you guys were present at Terry Weiss's keynote, our VP of Alliances, but we launched a new competency. It's called the machine learning competency. Uh, going back to the previous slide, it's going to be one of these solutions. Um, so we went through a process with our partners to actually handpick the ones that had a unique value proposition that we knew our, partner, our customers would leverage. Um, because they were going to be able to solve their, solve their data challenges to, enables the, to enable these machine learning workloads and actually to enhance sometimes applications with machine intelligence or machine learning. So um, we divided this, um, this um, technology category in the, in, the, um, in the machine learning competency in three different layers. That I'll, I'll, I'll go over those uh, later. So for consulting partners, because we, uh, we launched this for technology partners, for consulting partners, we're going to do this in, in 2018. And again, uh, we're going to vet a specific partners that have a practice with AIML um, on AWS. Uh, we're going to ask for customer references. If you work with us, you know that we're all about the customer, so we're always going to look for customer references and, and specific, especially public references. And those, of course, are our favorites. So uh, if you're a consulting partner, you're interested in achieving the ML competency. Um, well, you can reach out to me or you can um, see the APN Alcove that's going to be, uh, it's gonna be uh, at the Venetian uh, starting tomorrow, so you can ask about this program. Uh, but we're going to open this in 2018 for, for competency partners. And, and I myself come from, from, a com, uh, from a consulting partner, so uh, last year I was in Spain working for Viva, uh, um, a consulting partner, and we went through the process to become a big data competency partner. And I can tell you it's a very thorough process, and we really make sure that our partners have expertise in this workload. So we're going to do the same for, for machine learning next year. Um, so going back to the, to the, to the categories, um, that I described before, for specifically for technology partners that, that we've been working with for this launch. So at the very bottom, we have the data services. Uh, going back to, to what Joe mentioned about the dirty work, and I think there's a statistic say, that says that 80% of the time of a data scientist is um, spent or wasted actually prepping the data to, to make sure the data uh, looks good and works well for a machine learning workload. So these are the partners. Um, that allow our customers to prepare their data uh, in the best way possible. Um, in the second layer, these are platforms that they range from um, platforms who are able to, um, even with a drag and drop kind of tool to be able to do a machine learning workload end to end, even for people who are not data science practitioners, to platforms that enable collaboration, versioning, that have enterprise features and things like that. And um, in the very top, we have the API solutions. So these are um, end solutions. So actually, these companies have done, or they do the machine learning themselves, and they offer our customers an end solution for different use cases, like NLP, NLG, anomaly detection. We've touched base on a lot of this uh, before, computer vision, et cetera. So um, if you were in, uh, in the in Terry's keynote this morning, or anyway, um, if, if you weren't able to see all this uh, through all these logos, I'm going to just go, go through them again. So in the, in the, in the bottom layer for, data, for the data services, so we have this data annotation, wrangling, and procurement. So Trifacta Paxata, very well known for data wrangling, super easy to manipulate data. It's not an ETL tool, so you're able, as a business user, to prepare your data for a data science workload. Um, Alteryx, same thing, uh, Cloudflower, uh, Joe mentioned it, data annotation to get your data right. 
Um, in the platform space, I think I mentioned a couple of these guys. They range from end-to-end -end platforms that are, uh, enable a machine learning workload to solutions that um, are specific for reinforcement learning, like bonsai, um, Databricks. Um, it's a full platform that saves a lot of time if you're using Spark as your main uh, machine learning tool, um, et cetera. And then on the top, all these uh, end use cases that range from computer vision, NLP, NLG, um, hyperparameter optimization, um, and, and some specific use cases like anomaly detection or, or conversational. S most of these partners are US-based. Uh, there are a couple EMEA-based. Uh, Anadot is based in Israel. DataIQ is based in France. So we're happy to work with partners from all geos, APAC included, uh, EMEA, of course, LATAM. So don't be shy, and if, if, you have, if you're a technology partner and you have a solution that you think it's worth uh, being part of this competency, uh, we will help you get there. Um, besides what we do at APN and, 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 and what I just mentioned about the, the competency launch, we have the marketplace. So all these uh, solutions are right now, all the logos that you see there are right now available on marketplace, so you can procure through marketplace all of these solutions right now. And they're either available as an AMI that you can deploy on your account, or they're a SaaS solution that you can just connect to, and, and they'll do the, the metering and the billing for you. So all this is available. If you see how this is categorized, it's kind of analogous to uh, what we did with APN. So we have the data solutions. We have the machine learning and, and data science, which most of them are, are platforms. And we have intelligent solutions, which are uh, end solutions. So with that, I'm going to hand it back to, over to, to Joe for, for takeaways and call to action. I'll stay here for Q&A. Sounds good. Thank you. Okay, so just a quick wrap up here. Um, I think we've, we've pretty much established that ML is becoming pervasive. I think everyone would agree. Um, it's, it's disrupting just about every segment that I, I talk to or, or engage with. Uh, from an AWS perspective, you know, all of our cards aren't certainly on the table. We have a lot more to come. We're innovating, and I think we, we believe we have the premier end-to-end -end platform uh, for production, ML and AI, and I think our customers speak louder than we do. So we love to, to hear our customer stories. Um, but really from a partner perspective, I think we, we're the, the, the perfect place and really the premier place um, for machine learning. And I think uh, Jose went through this. I think from a development perspective, whether it's Amazon AI, whether it's going to market with you know, us as a partner um, through APN, or really the marketplace and being able to monetize directly, you actually don't even need to leave the AWS ecosystem uh, for any of that, uh, which is pretty awesome. Um, so a couple of call to actions. Uh, so you can try our services, so uh, you can integrate those. So for example, with recognition, you can try that. I think it's like 5,000 free um, API calls. So you can, there's a free tier for just about everything we do. I think everything we do has a free tier, which is nice. Um, you can also apply for the competency. So if you want to be one of our closest partners um, for ML, uh, apply. There's the, the link that's live now. You can apply. I've gotten a few more applications uh, since the, the launch, which is great. We're always looking for more partners. And as Jose said, we want those globally as well. Our, our customers are global. They're not just in North America or in California, where I live. Um, they're, they're everywhere. Japan, uh, EMEA, South America, everywhere. So, um, And then as a, as a plug for my partner talks, and, and frankly, more talks that I have to come, uh, we have uh, a Facebook um, talk I'm co-hosting uh, tomorrow with uh, some of the engineers over there from the Cafe 2 team. Uh, Caltech, if you're around on Thursday still, uh, we're doing what's called the Deep Learning Summit. Uh, and Caltech uh, is there with uh, Aaron Ames. He's bringing his robot, so 
check that out. So if, if anyone's familiar with the CAST lab, the Center for Autonomous Systems Technology Lab, so think DARPA challenge. Uh, so he'll bring his robot, Aaron Will, uh, as well as uh, the computer vision um, experts like uh, Pietro Perona. Um, Matroid uh, is going to be talking about TensorFlow on Kubernetes. So Kubernetes is very big, obviously, now that we're part of cloud native. Uh, too simple and uh, autonomous driving, so I'll be co-hosting that chalk talk as well. Um, I'm doing a lot of talks these days, uh, but come to that one. That will, will definitely be interesting. It'll be an intimate um, discussion and, and engagement with the CTO of a really, really interesting company. Um, and then Crowdflower, we talked about in the data annotation, SIGOPT and optimization, and then Bonsai, um, really applying uh, you know, machine learning using reinforcement learning, which is everyone loves to talk about computer vision and natural language, but reinforcement learning is what I view as the next wave of things to come. Um, so things like um, manufacturing, um, things like autonomous driving um, use reinforcement learning, and that's not something that everyone is actually working on. Um, there's only a few really um, key experts in the world that I would say have that uh, deep knowledge, and Bonsai certainly is, is one of those companies. Um, so with that said, um, please fill out your surveys, and Jose and I would love to take your questions.